0: What's up, everybody? Ryan Alter here, Sports Talk, Unfiltered, Unapologetic. We are back for episode 10. We're here on Thursday, May the 2nd, 2019. And I'm going to hit three topics tonight. It's good to uh, be back. I'm going to hit the NFL draft results. I got a bunch of stuff to go over on that. I'm also going to talk about the Tyreek Hill situation. Uh, There's a bunch of stuff to kind of go over on that as well. And then I'm going to talk about a little bit of the NBA playoffs. Mainly, I have some thoughts on the Rockets and and Warriors series and a little bit probably about the East. So let's get into it. The draft was last Thursday, obviously uh, over the weekend too. I love how they do that now, man. They used to do it back in the day, and I don't know why they didn't think of it earlier. But these poor guys, man, would be like zombies because they would typically start it, I think, on Saturday morning and then go just all Saturday and all Sunday, <laughs> like morning, noon, and night, until they were done with the draft. Now they on having it on Thursday and just having one round Thursday, which is killer because that's that's the most important round when, you know, as a lot of people know, when you draft a guy in the first round, you retain his rights essentially uh, for five years right off the bat, and then you can franchise tag him if you can't re-sign him for that six year. Any picks that go rounds two and later, you only sign those guys to four-year deals. So you can obviously tag them at the end of that. But they the advantage for being a first-round pick is you usually get a bigger contract right off the bat, although they have maxes to that now. But you get paid more than, say, a second or a third-rounder. The second and third-rounder, though, if that guy ends up being a stud, then he can cash in sooner than the other first-round picks. So there's... I would say most guys want to be that first rounder though, because of basically the status it holds and playing in the NFL is, you, you know, a lifelong dream for, I'd say, you know, 99% of the guys who make it there. Um, and I think get, getting that recognition where you are in the green room in the back and walking up on stage to shake that dirt bag, Roger Goodell's hand uh, after you're picked is a huge honor for these guys and, and something they, they dream about. So. Let's uh, get into it. First pick ended up being Kyler Murray. Uh, that's no surprise there. I think the Cardinals, at the end of the day, really, really handled the Rosen situation again wrong. And they ended up picking Murray. And they they basically had Rosen as kind of a lame duck. Now, they ended up moving Rosen. It wasn't until the next day. But they only got pick, I think, 62 for him. So you drafted him 10th overall to be your franchise quarterback. Then, after only one season when he had no talent around him, they bailed on him. I don't really mind it because a, a talent like Murray, Murray can end up being a superstar. Now, he might not. He might be terrible. He might be middle of the road, or he might be a superstar. But if you're going all-in with Kingsbury as your hire for the coach, and Murray's the player that he wants and thinks is dynamic and fits his style of offense, then I kind of I have no issues with them getting Murray. I just have issues with how they handle the situation with Rosen. And I think if they would have played their cards differently from the jump, they probably could have got more for him than, than the 62nd overall pick. Not only that, they paid Rosen the bulk of his money. So Miami gets him, okay, for three more years at $2 bucks a year. I mean, there's total stiffs out there that are backup quarterbacks in the league on most teams, really that are making maybe three or 4 million even. So to get Rosen a top 10 pick from only a year ago, who's got an elite arm and an immense talent at 2 million bucks the next three years, that, that was a steal for Miami. So the Niners ended up taking Nick Bosa second. That was no shock. Uh, Third, it was kind of going to be a given at that point that the Jets were going to end up taking Quinn and Williams. Murray, Bosa and Quentin Williams were kind of looked at as the three best prospects in the draft. I think that the one caveat I'll say to that, though, is with Murray, I don't know where he goes if the Cardinals don't have the interest in him that they do. Because the Niners weren't going to pick him at two. The Jets weren't going to pick him at three. They have Darnold. Niners obviously have Jimmy G. Uh, the fourth pick was the Bucks. I'm sorry, the Raiders. Now, it's who's to say the Raiders... I don't know if they if they liked Murray that much, they would have taken him. you hear Mayox press conference after the first round. They ended up taking um, Cleveland uh, Cleveland Farrell and Farrell is a big time leader and prospect from Clemson. I don't think he was obviously rated that high. I'm going to refrain from completely ripping on the Raiders for taking him at four, because I think if that's the player they really wanted and they're claiming it was either him or Nick Bosa. Those are the only two guys. They were picking one of the two. Niners took the Bosa at, uh, Niners took Bosa at two, so the Raiders are going to take Farrell at four. Now, the issue, obviously, and where they're getting ripped on is the fact that he wasn't slated to go there and they should have traded back and gotten some more value and then picked him. Well, there's a couple things that go along that. One, how do you know that the Raiders didn't try to trade back? They, they very well could have. And... Gotten rejected for whatever they were asking for that fourth pick. One. Okay. So, but it's, I think it's a little bit, you know, ridiculous to kind of blame Oakland for not trading back if we don't know if they were attempting to. Second, what if you drop back and you really do like this kid that much? Sometimes you have to take these GMs at face value or at their word. And if they really did like Farrell that much and they drop back and they drop back too far and then they miss out on him then you're really screwed. So I think taking the guy that you really like and and you like him that much and want him that bad, I don't really have a problem with that. Farrell also has been a team captain on Clemson since Deshaun Watson went to the league. So he's very, very highly regarded. He's a big-time leader, and he's also a very good player. So I was all right with that pick. I kind of thought that they would go Devin White right there, but then I remembered, or some one of my buddies, I think, actually might have texted me that. Um, they reminded me that they picked up Burfecht in the offseason. Now, Burfecht's a hell of a player, but he's is such a hothead, you don't know if he's going to be suspended or what's going to go on with him from game to game. So uh, Devin White, to me, I love Devin White. And I'm a Michigan guy, and I love Devin Bush too. But I don't even – I don't know, man. Devin White's talent and NFL you know, prospect, probability of being good is just through the roof. So the Bucks nabbed him at five. Then you go down. And you have the New York Giants. Giants, I've been ripping Gettleman ever since. Really, I started this pod um, for almost you know three months now. They finally took a quarterback after I had been ripping them for nine. The problem is they took Daniel Jones. Okay, now Daniel Jones, if you like him, okay, that's fine. Now this is the same situation. The Giants are picking at seventeen. Now Gettleman goes on and does a press conference. A couple days later, and says, well, I know for a fact that that Daniel Jones wouldn't make it to 17. I know two teams that would have taken him. He basically names the Redskins and the Broncos, which is like a big no-no anyway because you're sitting there calling those teams out saying what you knew they were going to do. So obviously the Redskins come right out and say, how the hell would he know? He hasn't seen our big board. He doesn't know nothing what he's talking about. Then the Redskins ended up staying pat and taking Haskins, who they were tied to anyway, and who's probably going to be the better quarterback than Jones to begin with. So I'm going to give them credit for taking a quarterback instead of waiting until Manning turns 45. But at the same time, they could have had that guy at 17. So I'm telling you that guy doesn't know what he's doing anymore. Dave Gettleman is lost it somewhat. He's out of touch when it comes to how to run a football team in that league now. And the giants to me, are and have been steadily heading down the crapper. Okay. They're swirling around in the toilet and they're only just going to go further and further down the drain until they take the keys of that car away from that guy. He just doesn't know what he's doing anymore. So I like a few other picks. Uh, I thought the Raiders getting Josh Jacobs later on the round was a good pick. I love Ed Oliver, the defensive tackle out of Houston to the bills, TJ Hawkinson from Iowa to the lions. Now, a lot of people like Hawkinson. I'm not a fan of that pick. I thought that was overdrafting him. I also think tight ends are kind of the new wave the last five years or so. But, you know, tight ends is a is a really deep position now, and it's starting to become an intricate more position in the NFL. And the reason is, is because it's a safer pick a lot of the time to these teams than wide receiver is, which goes to show you, I think there were two tight ends taken before the first wide receiver was. And that's because a lot of these guys end up being busts. So the Steelers, which are usually a really conservative and safe playing team, moved up and took Devin Bush out of Michigan. They moved all the way up from, I forget what number they were, to number 10. Now, ever since they've lost Ryan Shazier at middle linebacker, they've lacked a little bit of identity there. And I think trading up to get Bush, who I really like his prospects as an NFL guy. It's not just because he's a Michigan kid. I think Bush has got, NFL star written all over him. We'll see if it turns out that way, but he can do a lot of great things. He's very fast and instinctive and plays well side to side and laterally. I think he's going to be a good player. Jonah Williams from Alabama was kind of just a a Bengals normal pick, right? They don't really make mistakes that often in the draft to me with their first few picks. They usually take what's kind of false to them. Bengals are usually also a team that does not move around or pay to move up. Mike Brown's kind of notoriously cheap, and I kind of thought that they would just take who they thought would be the best player available. Rashawn Gary of Michigan going number 12. Now, Gary to me has underachieved at Michigan. He is probably, I think it was actually according to, not ESPN, one of those really highly touted recruiting ranking sites. He's a top five recruit, out of high school in the last, I think it's like 25 years. He's like in the top five rated recruits coming out of high school, period, of that whole generation. You know, at Michigan, I really thought he underachieved. I did. I think he came out and and appeared to be, to be honest, pretty lazy and just didn't live up to his potential. A guy like he, he was touted coming out of high school should have just flat out dominated. Now he has the pedigree, body type, athleticism everything it takes to be a player at the next league i mean at the next level but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen christian wilkins defensive tackle from clemson went 13th so clemson you're starting to see a lot of clemson players start to get drafted now in this league because of them hanging and beating bama and obviously, there's still a bunch of guys from Bama that went too. Dexter Lawrence, another defensive tackle from Clemson. So they had three defensive linemen go in the top 17. Now that is a pick that the Giants took with that pick that they got from the Browns from the Beckham trade. I like that Dexter Lawrence pick at 17. Brian Burns, I like that pick by the Panthers for outside linebacker. Burns is a really highly uh, touted prospect, and he slipped all the way to 16. So I, I thought that was a really really good pick. Tennessee got defensive tackle Jeffrey Simmons pretty late, and that's because he had some incident in high school. You know, kids make mistakes, man. I did, you did, everybody did, especially when you're that age, and even in your early 20s. And it's really, really hard to kind of hold that over someone's head. But, you know, the NFL is a it's a shrewd business, and it's a billion-dollar business. So these are million- and billion-dollar kind of questions you're asking yourself here when you're picking these guys early on and it's a lot of risk involved but Tennessee went ahead and took the dive on that and it might pay off for them big time Uh, that's a position of need for them also they've always usually had pretty stout defenses but now you slap that guy on there with Jarrell Casey and a couple other people and And you might see Tennessee back in that top five or so defense in the league, possibly. They, I think, lack some secondary help still, um, but they're going to have a formidable defensive line, I think, next year. Andre Dillard, Philadelphia, I don't remember who they traded with, but they moved up to take basically who they viewed as their top tackle um, in the draft. That was a good pick, and they snaked him right in front of the Texans at 23 who the Texans, as you know, have not protected Deshaun Watson at all the last couple of years. He's been sacked, I think, more than any quarterback in the league. So you almost kind of felt like the Texans were going to go best tackle available. And you got to wonder if Dillard would have been that guy if Philadelphia didn't cut in front of them and take him, which obviously that had to be why Howie Roseman made that deal, because they were probably worried about the Texans taking Dillard. And then they might have gotten the guy that the Texans took, which was Titus Howard out of Alabama State. Um, Marquise Hollywood-Brown went to the Ravens. Now, I'm going to be honest here. They're going to have to use some trickery to get him the ball because Lamar Jackson does not throw the ball down the field. And Hollywood-Brown might be served getting wide receiver screens, even reverses and other stuff. He's an electric player, though, who needs the ball in his hands. Patriots, (laughs) just sitting kind of pretty, sitting back, just when the Super Bowl, they kick back and they pick what some people feel is the most electrifying and best receiver. If it's not Hollywood Brown and in, in Keel Harry out of Arizona state, Herm Edwards guy. So I kind of like that risk that new England took right there. I thought that was a really good pick. I'm going to go over round two really quick here. Not try not to take too much more time. Cause I got a couple other other uh, subjects I'd like to get to. So starting off, the second round, you had Byron Murphy, who you saw a lot of people kind of have hit or miss takes on him. The Cardinals ended up taking him. I like that pick, though, at least that position, too, for Arizona. Team up with someone with Patrick Peterson, and we'll see how he ends up being. The guy that kept falling and falling and falling was Greedy Williams. I kind of was wondering if Arizona would take him right there. And what's going on with with Greedy is there's a knock on him right now that he hates to tackle and that he's kind of a wuss. And I don't know how true that that stuff is. We're going to find out when when he suits up on Sundays. But for whatever reason, I've seen that guy in the top 10 in some mocks the last few months. And then he fell out of the first round completely and slipped way down the board. I think it was somewhere in the 40s or 50s. Jawan Taylor was another guy that fell. And I think that had something to do with an injury. I thought the Jaguars getting him with the third pick in the second round was an excellent choice. I mean, that was a great pick, especially if he's healthy. Niners got Debo Samuel. I was very happy with that myself. He's a physical, physical receiver who plays big, and I think he'll be perfect for Shanahan's offense. Old Miss tackle Greg Little went to the Panthers. I actually thought the Panthers had a pretty decent draft. Uh, Buffalo took Cody Ford. Some other picks here. Now, Denver moved back into the second round after they picked ninth, and they took Drew Locke. You kind of just had a feeling L.A. was going to take somebody because if he liked a big quarterback, it was either going to be Locke or uh, the kid that the Giants took at six. I still don't think that that L.A. pulls a trigger on him if the Giants don't at 10. But him getting his guy Locke because Locke fell so bad um, ended up being a really good pick for him. Greedy Williams did end up going 46 to the Browns, the DB. So we'll see how he, how he ends up. Irv Smith Jr. A lot of people had him tied to the Patriots. He fell to pick 50, uh, which is the 18th pick of the second round. AJ Brown, the receiver from old miss, who's DK Metcalf's teammate. And a lot of people were saying was the better receiver than Metcalf ended up going before Metcalf 19th pick in the second round. So a lot of value. I always thought, um, and I have over the years in the second round, Taylor Rapp, the safety out of Washington who had some injury concerns. The Rams picked him from a trade. I like that pick a lot for the Rams. And then DK Metcalf, who basically was the combine guy. Um, I'm surprised he fell as far as he did, especially as well as he ran at the combine. I think some of these other things sometimes get a little bit overlooked, but we're going to have a really, really good idea about that come um, this season and beyond when we see how he performs. And I think a guy like him, how he had really, really good numbers and he's got great strength and size, if he ends up being a really good receiver with his three cone and shuttles and um, certain drills that he didn't have as well of showing in, I think you're going to start to see some receivers going forward who don't perform as well in those areas but end up being good in the NFL. You're going to start to see teams um, take chances on those guys. All right, guys. I want to get into this Tyree kill subject for a minute. I know I talked about this a, um, a couple episodes ago, maybe even last episode. It wasn't that long. I'm not going to try to dwell on this and, and go over it week by week. The, the, there's a couple main points I want to hit on this. First of all, whenever you involve children into the domestic violence realm, you're going to have people even in a bigger uproar and as they should be. Okay, Hill most people would say, like anybody else, to zoo's due, due process. Well, when there's damning evidence and you know that that the person's guilty, uh, I'm not going to sit around and wait for some schmuck judge to basically say he's guilty or give him uh, some slap on the wrist or something else because he's a celebrity or he's in the NFL or whatever. They have him on audio admitting to punching his kid in the chest, Okay, forcing the kid to hold his hands open and him punching him in the chest. He's three years old. All right, it's complete BS. He broke the kid's arm and then he's telling the mom, you better help me hide this basically and you need to be scared of me too because she tells him the kid's scared to death of you. I mean, it's ridiculous, all right? The guy, he's just a bad dude and there's no other way to put it. Whatever punishment he has coming to him, so be it. I don't care if it's for life. To be honest with you, if you're beating on kids, you probably should be gone for life. If it's domestic violence thing, every case is case by case and it's different. But really, that should warrant a year or two or something like that. You just can't go around smacking women and especially kids as well. Really, they're both just as bad. But what a kid is, is like defenseless. It's like ridiculous. Having said that, on September 8th, I'm going to sit in front of my TV and watch football, just like all of you are and just like everybody else in America pretty much. And the NFL media... These guys get on their high horses, and it drives me nuts. So I got into it with Florio from PFT or Pro Football Talk. He gets on there and says, oh, this Tyree Kill thing's bad with the kids. Depending on how the NFL covers this or or, uh, acts on his punishment, is going to determine whether I cover the league anymore. Okay. What a joke, man. I mean, seriously. What a hypocrite. You make money off the NFL, Mike. Okay. You make your paycheck off them. Stop with the high horse, self-righteous crap, okay? You go out there and sit there and give your opinion and act like you're better than everybody else because you're trying to take some fake stance and have some fake outrage. You don't care about uh, Hill's kid or his old lady or any any of these other guys' girlfriends that are getting beat or whatever else goes on, Okay. Because if you did, and it was a big thing about the NFL being some beacon of moral morality or some moral compass or whatever, then nobody would be covering them. Because everybody knows they don't give a crap about the players. They're letting these guys drop dead like flies for years from CTE, letting them shoot up steroids, letting them go out and get hammered, get DUIs and all this other stuff. They just started punishing them when Goodell got into the league. Tagliabue's whole run, there was thousands of domestic violence incidents that never had a player get suspended once for any amount of time. So the NFL has done this because this stuff is starting to get publicized in the last decade through the media, sports center, wherever you want to say, and then social media. And the fact is, is that they don't like negative publicity and they're forced, their hands are forced to punish these guys now. You think the NFL cares about Tyree Kill's three-year-old son? Man, you could have all 32 of those owners watch the video of it if happening if there was one, and they'd still sit there and vote if they knew it wasn't going to be released to the public to not suspend the guy at all. None of those guys have a moral bone in their body, okay? They only care about their wallets. They don't care about player safety. They don't care about any of that stuff. Now, this is the harsh truth, but it's still the truth. And people need to get over the fact that that's how these owners are. And you're still going to sit and watch on Sundays. That's the reality of it. Because we love the game and we love football. And football isn't the moral police or anything else. Now, because this stuff gets scrutinized and drugged through the mud by the public, they don't have any choice but to do anything but a big part of what goes on with these guys off field incidents is basically between them and the law. All right. Whoever the police is that are involved that should be taking care of this stuff. The prosecutors, whatever the NFL ends up being at the end of the day, the basically judge and jury or whatever is because they're in the limelight with this stuff and people watching their every move. What are they going to do to Tyree kill? What are they going to do this? and that? well, I mean, in situations where it's, it's like blatant and it's obvious and nonstop talked about, they're going to get some type of suspension, who knows how long, but don't sit there and act like these guys care because they don't. And for the media and fans out there to sit there and they better do this or that, or I'm not watching anymore. Give me a break, man. It's a joke that people have that take on it. Excuse me. Because again, at the end of the day, you are going to watch and You are going to cover the leak because that's your paycheck. So don't pretend that them doing something to Hill or Greg Hardy or anyone else for that matter means that they care or they all of a sudden have some moral compass because they don't. There's a reason that these tapes, okay, don't make it out to the public because the NFL or the teams or whoever else gets a hold of them first and they try to hide it because they don't want their guy getting suspended no matter what he's done rant over Let's get into the playoffs a little bit with the NBA I, I think some of the series have been okay some of the some of them man I've seen some back and forth basically where it's one one or two two and all the games are blowouts. I hate series like that man where none of the games are close even though it, it appears it, this series tied to all. But then you look into the box scores, and every one of the games is a 20-point win by by the home team. So the Warriors and Rockets have some animosity from last year still. Rockets play the Warriors tough. And a couple of the reasons is the Rockets have some gritty players. And then they also have James Harden, obviously. And Chris Paul is still a tough player and a, a pretty good player. He's just getting a little bit older and a little bit slowed down on his offense. But Harden is just... Really gifted player. Uh, Offensively, he's just like no one we've kind of seen in a way. He he draws contact better than anyone. Having said that, they lost last year in the conference finals to Warriors, and they're down 2-0 to them right now. These wimps go to the league and bitch and moan about the calls they're not getting and that basically they should have won last year and would have won this and that if it weren't for the refs. I mean... What a bunch of sour-ass losers, man. Seriously, you guys look like the biggest pack of schlubs that's ever stepped on the basketball court. And if it ain't the players saying it, it's the front office. I mean, how embarrassing. You're just making your players look like the biggest losers, man. I swear. It's just embarrassing. And the Rockets damn well know. What do they think Silver's going to do, huh? Oh, well, you're right, Houston. Houston. Let's just let's you know what warriors give back your rings from last year when you beat the Cavs and give them to Houston's guys. Steph Curry, go hand your ring to James Harden. You're right. Let's just change what happened a year ago and give you the title and assume you would have beat Cleveland, which you probably would have or whatever and take them from golden state. I mean, what in the hell is the purpose of somebody going to the league and bitching and moaning about referee calls after the fact that's the coach's job. When he's on the sideline and the play happens right then and there. That's what ejections are for. That's what Tectos are for. Go and cuss the ref out right there in front of 50 million people watching in the arena and on TV. Don't wait and do it a year later, moron. What do you think is gonna happen? You think they're gonna rescind the Warriors win from a year ago? I mean, you guys just look like dumb shits, man. It's it's this it's like utterly ridiculous how asinine it is. Not only that. They're insulting the refs and pissing the refs off. So you're still in this Golden State series, and you're going to come out the next game after you completely throw the refs under the bus and act like they're favoring Golden State and think that they're going to all of a sudden favor you or or whatever because everyone's watching that we're going to be watching out for it. No, it's actually going to be the opposite. They're going to be pissed that you try to blame them, and they're probably going to favor the Warriors more if they even were to begin with, which I tell you right now they're not. When your star player shoots 200 more free throws in a season than the next dude in the whole freaking league. Okay? Don't tell me you're not getting calls when Harden gets every call in the book. I mean, Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan think that James Harden gets too many calls. That's how many calls that guy gets. He jumps up for a three and lands forward. Draymond Green, the other night in game one, jumped straight up in the air, landed straight down in the air. And him and Harden made contact. He did not lunge forward and land on Harden or get in Harden's landing area. If he's in Harden's landing area, it's because Harden jumps forward when he shoots. It's all a mind game and a trick thing. And Harden has got to be the biggest coward of all for sitting there acting like he doesn't know the BS he's pulling. He knows exactly what he's doing. But all I see that guy out there It's like a soccer player faking injuries and acting like he's in the hospital gurney every time someone even breathes on him. I get that you need to sell it sometimes to get calls, but this guy over here doing the most with stuff like that, just completely flopping and then acting like he's getting robbed of calls when he shoots 200 more free throws than anyone else is the joke of the century. Go out there and play your ass off and beat Golden State fair and square. Stop blaming referees because you guys chuck up 63s a game and make seven of them, all right? It's just embarrassing. Earn your victory. You can say what you want about Golden State and who they've added in this and that. They still go out there and earn it, no matter who's on the floor. Then they play together and they share the ball and pass the ball. They had like 27 assists in game two. They ultimately mean what they say when they say they don't care who scores. They care about winning championships. And to me, the proof's in the footing because they're about to win their fourth in five years. Whew, man. Some intense talk tonight, boys. But I had a lot to get off. So anyway, uh, it's good to catch up. And hopefully everyone enjoyed the show. If you guys have any type of topics you want me to talk about or questions ready? Hit me on Instagram or Twitter at 49erKid23. That's 49ERKIDD23. And I will see you guys next week. Have a good rest of the week and weekend, man. Take care.